How can you help your clients and their employees when it's time to go back to the office? And what do you need to know about testing, notifications, HIPAA, reimbursements, and more? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're chatting with Chris Yarn. In addition to being a friend, he's CEO at Walk-On Clinic, which is a mobile healthcare logistics company. And you might ask, why in the world would you be talking to a mobile healthcare logistics company? And what the heck is one of those anyway? And as we record this, we're still in the quarantine period in most states from the COVID virus, but people are starting to open up a little bit. States are starting to open up a little bit. And the question for a lot of employers, especially the ones that you service and that you work with, is what the heck is getting back to the office going to look like? And Chris has a tremendously deep expertise in how these kinds of things work. And we invited him on to talk about that. Welcome, Chris. Hey, David, thank you so much for having me on today. Looking forward to the discussion and uh, hopefully getting a lot of good information out there to the broker world. We appreciate it. So uh, start with a little bit about your background and and how you ended up where you are now, because I think that informs what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, sure. What the audience really would need to know is that I am a, uh, a former broker and consultant myself. I started my career as a risk manager doing large dollar deductible workers' compensation for Liberty Mutual on the property casualty side. Then I was an independent agent. And then I also ran a captive for the Southeastern United States for a hardware store conglomerate. You know, that was my background. The very first account I ever worked in insurance happened to be Rosen Shingle Creek Hotel, which some of your audience is probably familiar with. Is one of the first on-site, you know, clinic companies that went self-funded back in the early, I think, 92 is when he started it. And that was actually the very first account I ever worked in insurance. So throughout my career as a broker, I always, you know, like the on-site clinic strategy, saw it work for his company and uh, used it as a risk management strategy for my clients in my book of business. And then went the entrepreneur route, opened a brewery here in Florida, internet marketing agency as well, sold both of those and then got into mobile healthcare because I, I really kind of loved seeing the return on investment employer groups would get from a risk management standpoint by putting clinics on site. But I never really believed it was too scalable you know, for the smaller self-funded employer groups. And it's like, hey, this is a great strategy for Google or Amazon or these big companies that can afford to put a doctor on site, you know, eight hours a day. But what about all these other groups that would like to use those strategies and how do you do it? And uh, that's where we came up with the, you know, mobile health clinic concept. So you kind of bring it to everybody or make it available to everyone. Yeah. The idea is, you know, mobile health care 
has been around a long time. It's predominantly used in what's called the FQHC funded space. So federal grant money where a mobile unit goes into a rural area and delivers medical care, primary care, or, you know, STD testing or, you know, certain types of tests and immunizations for areas that don't have great access to healthcare. That's traditionally been the model. And we've kind of taken that model and turned it into let's go connect to employer groups that are trying to scale primary care services on site. So we can integrate with direct primary care practices where now the DPC doc has a brick and mortar location, but now also goes and sees the employer once a month or once a week or once a quarter. Or I can also contract with just the standard in-network model where I'm bringing out a local in-network physician's practice that also has a brick and mortar facility to do wellness exams or, or whatever. So we've you know, we've been proficient for years at running large scale testing and processes out of employers parking lot and then parking lots. And so now enter the COVID era when nobody wants to do testing inside their office and they're setting up drive through lanes. And we, you know, unfortunately, but fortunately have a solution and process built out to do exactly that. So do you think that's going to be the process or at least the starting point for a lot of employers, which is doing some kind of a drive-through testing? You know, I think every employer is going to be different. I know that there are some employers that are going to have just an absolute financial need to test and risk manage. And I think there are others that, you know, philosophically are just not going to want to test. We kind of are taking the position of, you know, in, in my mind, I think everybody should attempt to do some form of risk management. And whether you choose to do that in your parking lot or in your building, I mean, I think it kind of defeats the purpose. You know, if you're going to open up your building and then have everybody come inside and get tested, you know, I hope you have a way to clean the area. I mean, this, you got to understand primary care physicians aren't doing swabs in their offices right now. I mean, some of them have started that have come up with cleaning protocols, but predominantly, If you go to try and get a COVID test at your local PCP, they're going to walk outside and gear up and they're going to take the sample outside and not even let you in the clinic. In addition to being a health issue, though, I mean, for a lot of employers, doesn't this become a liability issue? If you say you're not going to test, you can imagine the scenarios that might ensue from that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Google Tyson Foods, Iowa. And that's probably one of the best national examples right now. I believe it's, and don't quote me on this, but I believe it's something like in that county of the thousand something plus people that tested positive for COVID, 800 of them can be traced to one employer group. You know, the infection rate, which is the, was the Tyson Foods plant apparently. So I think you absolutely do not want to be the employer that's on the front page of the paper because you didn't do any form of risk management, not to mention just the social responsibilities of if you have a population that, you know, have asthmatics and diabetics or underlying conditions, I think you, you almost, I think it's the right thing to do. Again, I personally don't like it. I don't like the invasion of privacy. It's, you know, you're essentially, you know, can let's rewind the clock to pre COVID. Can you imagine being tested for any form of virus or disease and then not being able to, you know, work? It's, it's pretty much a direct violation of everything w- that we've built out in this country. But I think we're, we're in an era where the EEOC has also made it clear that they almost expect some employers to test. Like they've made rules that have basically allowed them to, yeah, like you can not allow someone to return to work if they're, you know, with an active 
COVID infection. And by the way, you're supposed to tell all the employees in their department that you're not allowed to disclose their name, but you, you basically are required to tell the people they work with that somebody tested positive. But until we get to herd immunity, do you test every day? Because, you know, you wonder, is that what you have to do? That's the great question. And this is where I would advise to consultants and brokers and insurance carrier reps, you know, don't try and play doctor. Your job is what it always has been. And that is help your clients manage risk. And you're not wrong in the herd immunity scenario. I mean, you can test and somebody can go pick it up at the restaurant later that week and then spread it to anybody at your facility that doesn't have it. So, you know, weekly testing and monthly testing or daily testing, you know, there are certain industries that are going to be doing that. Like I've, we're talking to three or four different industries that they financially, they lose more money if they have to shut down and quarantine and clean things than they will spend just spending money on testing every single day until there's like a vaccine for this thing, which is is just crazy to think about. But there are industries out there where that's going to be the requirement. For the most part, I think, you know, the employer groups and the consultants should be in a position where they're just trying to, you know, consult and risk manage initially with some form of return to work or return to the office type of testing for those that haven't gotten it. Because you're, you're going to make your employees feel a lot more safe if they know that everybody's been tested for this thing coming back to the office. And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. People talk about there being a definitive test. Is that an oxymoron? Oh, yes. I mean, that's (laughs) this is the example I give everybody. At any point in your life pre-COVID, have you heard a provider tell you, you know, this strep test or this flu test I'm about to give you sometimes gives false positives or negatives? You know, most people have heard that at some point in their life in a doctor's office that sometimes the test isn't accurate. So once a person says, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Then my next question is, why do you think a test that's been around three to four months is going to be more accurate than one that's been around 20 years? And so what that means is, you know, there is no test on the market. You know, the, the PCR nasopharyngeal swabs that test for the presence of the virus and run your, you know, DNA and RNA sequencing through PCR machine in a highly complex laboratory. That's the clinical gold standard and the only one that's really like FDA approved for labs to bill. 
But even that has large room for error, no different than the old flu tests and strep tests. If a lab technician doesn't grab a good enough sample, that's step one. If it's stored improperly, if it's left out in the open air before the lab tech puts it in the machine, there's multiple things that can go wrong, even in the gold standard process to create a bulletproof scenario. There is some promise with antibody testing. Even that doesn't necessarily have perfect specificity. And there's plenty of case studies out there that say one of the worst things you can do is make a bunch of people think that they falsely have had this and have the antibodies for it because then their social distancing behaviors and all that stuff change. And then they go out and they they become what's called like a, a rapid shedder, a rapid spreader of the virus. But, you know, nobody wants to say that if you've got all the antibodies for this thing, you're immune but also it's been one of the most promising clinical treatments that we've seen. Those would be the serological, the blood draws and the... And the yeah, things. yeah. Yep. When you're not testing for the presence of the virus, you're just testing that the body has built antibodies that beat this virus. And once you're at a certain level of antibodies, then your blood and your plasma, you are theoretically protected. But even Fauci won't say you're 100% protected, but all of our history and virology and the study of that, like... There are hospitals right now with people that have COVID and they're doing, you know, transfusions or, you know, blood, blood platelets and plasma injections from people that they know have had it and have the platelets for it. So, you know, they're not going to say you're immune to this thing, but there are hospital systems that are, you know, doing blood transfers with people that have had the antibodies and it's been one of the best clinical treatments for it. I mean, it always has been, right? You get a virus and you get the blood of somebody that's already got the antibodies for it. Your body starts to clone, you know, those antibodies quickly. So let's go back to something that you touched on briefly a moment or two ago, which is that if somebody tests positive, the coworkers of that person, however that's defined, are to be told that someone in your unit, even if they're conspicuous by their absence, has tested positive. Is that kind of like tap dancing on HIPAA? Are there special exemptions that are being given? So the the EEOC rules and there, I mean, you can, you know, Google EEOC COVID ruling and, you know, you'll find tons of articles on it, but it is right. I mean, in a normal world, that's, that's a little, little crazy, but unfortunately we're in a, in a kind of a new world now. And the reality is, yes, you are tap dancing. You're not disclosing the employee's name, but it's pretty easy to identify. And so this is, I mean, any insurance agent is familiar with this. It's like, there are the rules and there are also reality of how an employer group is going to respond. And the reality is in the COVID testing we've done on site for employers, anytime someone's tested positive, the employer is doing everything they're supposed to do from a HIPAA and a, you know, EEOC compliance standpoint. And by communicating it to the employees and workforce of people that might have been in touch with that person. But the reality is that patient is on their phone within 10 minutes texting every single one of their coworkers. Hey, I tested positive. Make sure you go get a test. <laughs> so, so it's like there's a, a proper protocol that an employer should follow from a risk management standpoint. And then there's what is the employee actually going to do when they find out they're positive. And I think it's a human behavior thing is what I've seen is that and maybe some people will be different, but for the most part, people feel like if they test positive for this thing, they have a, a responsibility to notify as many people that they've been in touch with as quickly as possible. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can give you my PHI freely, but an employer Correct. giving Can't. PHI out is a whole different animal. Oh, yeah, 100%. They're not allowed to disclose the name. Okay. 
even if it's a four-person unit and all of a sudden David's gone and people can deduce who it is, yeah, that's still fine. From what I've read on the EEO website, they're, you know, they're not defining that by number of employees and it's possible I've missed something, but from what I've read and seen, the ruling is you can communicate with anybody that needs to be communicated within the company that you got a positive COVID test. Fair enough. Fair enough. So if, if you're setting up a, some kind of a program, if, if, if a, an advisor comes to you or a client comes to you and they're a, a smaller mid-sized client, obviously the, the Tysons of the world are going to have different resources available to them and different ways of looking at things. Sure. But in the small and mid-sized market, let's say the under 500 market, what kind of programs are you recommending for employers right now? Or, or are you leaving that to physicians and you're just implementing? Sure. So we like everything to be physician led and we help with the process and planning of, you know, running the event and doing all that stuff. But we also help package and tell the brokers and employers, here are the four different testing options. You can do PCR, you can do antibody. These are the different things. And typically even these companies sometimes will have you know, a medical director they want to consult with or the CFO or the CEO wants to ask their doctor before they implement it. And sometimes we can plug in their doc. It's just every company is different. The good news is we have a scaled process that can work all the way down to 100 employee organizations because the reality is we only need to be there for a day or four hours to five hours to test 100 people for COVID. It's every, then everything is going to get sent to the lab. Or if you're doing antibody testing, you're getting results in 15 minutes. So what's important for the advisors and the employers is to make sure that they're going through a process that has already been developed. So if you just call up a normal physician group and say, hey, can you come test us everyone for COVID? They're typically not going to have a way to efficiently sign up your 80 people in a process where there's no wait time, they're not going to have a way to, you know, report back to the employer in an efficient manner of, you know, like aggregate reporting or, you know, that personal reporting. So, and, and they might also not even have a way to go secure all the personal protective equipment, depending on the employer group size and the testing equipment they need. Cause your local primary care doc might only be getting, you know, 10 COVID swabs a week. And now all of a sudden they need, you know, 200. So we are kind of like a resource partner and logistics planning and process company to help those physicians execute on all of those things. And if we're not in your market and we can't help, I said this on a, on an interview a couple of weeks ago with uh, Frank Menger. And what I told him is I said, you know, you're better off contacting like biometric screenings companies that have already built processes out and have and are used to doing large scale testing. So even if they haven't been able to set up a mobile unit or drive through lanes or whatever, your process to run an efficient testing day or week or something like that for your employer groups is going to run far more efficiently when you work with a company that is it has efficient protocols built out for large scale testing versus sure somebody that doesn't. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. so at the end of the day, all of this is sitting on top of an insurance infrastructure. Yep. And there are a lot of new tests that are coming out, some of which are FDA approved, some of which aren't FDA approved. What's the implication of that? And how do you be careful about what, what you do and what is reimbursable? Yeah, I think, you know, as it stands today on May 8th, I think there's two 
antibody tests that are approved by the FDA and everybody else is waiting FDA approval or they have emergency use authority, which is still not FDA approval. So the carriers are only reimbursing. If you're trying to run these claims through a plan, which by the way, there's no networks. So you don't even need an in-network doctor to bill. And you also, there's no copay for the employees at all. So it's kind of like your no copay annual wellness exam. You can do a no copay COVID test. And I think to answer your question, you know, how's it reimbursed? How's it not reimbursed? You're pretty much right now pigeonholed into a PCR testing or a full blood draw serology testing that is sent to the labs are the only codes that are reimbursable through an in-network type plan scenario where the doctor shows up, tests the employees, you know, has probable cause. And, you know, then that becomes questionable. Hey, who's actually allowed to be tested? You know, we don't want Joe who's 22 years old and was quarantined for 30 days and never got this thing. Like it's a, it's a waste of money for him to be tested. Right. We don't want that build to the plan. The first question on the CDC guidelines of who is to be tested is, have you been in contact with somebody with COVID? You know, so if an employer group has one employee that was, you know, has tested positive, you're pretty much able to test, unfortunately, you know, anybody at that point. And then there's a lot of physician arguments out there of should you test everybody? Should you not test everybody? And you could just go round and round in circles and beat yourself in the head to try and figure out what you should really do. But I try and just bring it all back to, you know, stop going down those rabbit holes and just ask yourself, are my employees going to be happy if I provide some form of on-site testing to them? Or are they going to be more happy if I do nothing at all? And then if you're an advisor or broker, is your relationship strengthened by providing your clients resources to do return to work testing or COVID or providing them no resource at all? And I think once you kind of answer those questions, then you can kind of figure out what you want to do. And that's a great place to end our discussion for today. Chris Yarn, CEO of Walk On Clinic. Chris, thanks so much for the information. And as things progress, we hope you'll come back and chat with us again. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, David. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.